Hello, everyone. It's Chet with Christian Hunters of America podcast. We have a special guest in today. A lot of people don't think about wetland conservation and duck hunting when you uh, think of Arizona, but we have Austin Olgenbruns, who is the area chairman for the Phoenix chapter of Ducks Unlimited. And he's going to be talking about a lot of different things like conservation of wetlands, habitat restoration, uh, social gatherings, and hunting ducks, all pertaining to here in Arizona. Stay tuned, and we will have a great discussion with him and talk about all things Ducks Unlimited here in Arizona. Thanks. Hello, everyone. It's Chet Gray with Christian Hunters of America podcast. We're here in studio with my co-host, Mike. How are you, Mike? We're doing fantastic. Hello, everybody. We have a special guest, like I said. We have Austin Olgenbruns. He is the area chairman for the Phoenix chapter of Ducks Unlimited. How are you, Austin? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm well, and yourself? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I didn't butcher your last name, did I? Not too bad. It's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself first and your upbringing and your background and how uh, how you got where you're at? Sure. So I'm originally from... Uh, Glenwood Springs, Colorado, kind of small mountain town up in the western part of the state. Um, grew up big game hunting, or uh, for you know most of my life, kind of like everybody in that area. And um, I don't know why I never got into duck hunting up there because it's a phenomenal state for it. But I just never had friends or anything um, that were into it, so I stuck with my big game hunting and uh, made the move to Arizona about eight years ago for work and to get out of the snow and the cold and got involved with some local guys at a DU chapter here. And uh, rest is kind of history. You know, they like any organization that's nonprofit and volunteer ran, you know, you get involved and um, they show you what all the great things they do and becomes a family. So yeah, I got fortunate enough to hook up with some guys out here and uh, the rest was history. They got me roped in. Ducks Unlimited is an all-volunteer organization, right? Like like Christian Hunters of America, correct? Uh, primarily. There are uh, paid people within the organization just because it is so large. Right. Um, over the years, you know, it was founded in 1937, and um, since then we've conserved 15 million acres between uh, Canada, North America, and Mexico. So we've even kind of stretched into our northern and southern countries' uh, neighbors as well, but... Um, yeah, we uh, every state, I guess, has one person that's over it. It's called a regional director, okay. and that's the only paid staff in, in the state. Gotcha. So we've got one guy that is in charge of all the volunteers in the state. That's how it is for all 50 states. That's, I mean, with that many volunteers, it's it's worthy of a paid position at that point. Absolutely. Yep. They, they got a lot of weight on their shoulders and a lot of projects and a lot of people and things to manage. We understand that. Yes, sir. What... Um, for a lot of people, Arizona doesn't invoke wetland and and ducks hunting. When you when you think about the Southwest, what what's the purpose and the mission of of Ducks Unlimited as a whole, and it, does that vary, or is it different being here in Arizona? Yeah, sure. So most people would agree with you. It's not a very uh, duck heavy state, and they don't think of Arizona when they think of dream duck hunting trips. Um, I know I sure didn't until I got out here and got involved with the guys, but Ducks Unlimited in general is in the business of conserving wetlands and wildlife in general. A lot of people confuse Ducks Unlimited with a duck hunting organization and nothing could really be further from the truth. Um, I like to expose that to people because of the mis, you know, understanding about it. Uh, it was founded back in like the Dust Bowl era and, um, the main mission was for waterfowl specific conservation and it's kind of evolved and grown over the years to uh, affect all wildlife really Um, people don't understand how important wetlands are to all wildlife species and clean water and regenerative environments in general Uh, keeping wetlands clean and restored and uh, preserved benefit over 700 species of wildlife for everybody. So your your big game hunters, your upland birds, everybody is affected by the wetlands. You know, all those animals need water. So, and boy, don't we know that here in Arizona, we're experiencing a drought uh, last year and this year. For everybody that is here locally that's listening, everybody knows um, when you go camping, 
in the summertime they've been closing forest fires have been closing all the national parks um lots of organizations including ourselves have been donating water or transporting yes, water out to catchments um those are helping the big game species and you do have some waterfowl um maybe come in and get like a little bath but they're not living there because the catchments are too small unless it's a pond um but it it does transcend into all those species everybody needs water arizona um needs it more than anything um especially since you know it it we don't get the monsoons that it seems like we do or the springs aren't being filled by those and filling the aquifer that that you know continually uh, fills some of those streams or ponds or lakes and whatnot so you see those lower levels on all of all, on all the water tables it seems like and i'm sure you guys are experiencing that when you guys go out and do habitat restoration correct absolutely yeah less than one percent of arizona is considered wetland wow uh, so it's we're we, we are definitely <laughs> struggling for that environment here um but we do get a lot of uh, you know, in the flyways, we get every all those ducks passing through. You mm -hmm. know, so there's great opportunity for ducks in general. But like I always say, you know, it's not just the waterfowl-driven mission. It is for all species of wildlife and for you know just clean water and environments in general as well. So I think that's what kind of sets apart Ducks Unlimited as an organization and why I'm so drawn to it. Cause I've been involved with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and um, you know, Pheasants Forever, some other organizations like that. But it wasn't until I got involved with Ducks Unlimited where I realized we take care of the same things they take care of as well. People just assume we're a duck only organization because of the name and it's just so established and right. old. But um, I think that's why I stay with this organization and got so heavily involved with it so quick is because it allows me to help all the species that I care about, not just waterfowl. That's a misnomer that a lot of people think on hunters that we're not conservationists. I know we've said it before on, on previous podcasts. I know people that are in this industry or that are hunters or anglers or uh, whatnot all believe that they're, that they're conservationists because if we took all these animals out, all these future generations wouldn't be able to get to experience God's creation. They wouldn't be able to see these beautiful creatures we want them to stay around for all of our children to be able to see them. Um, even if you're not an avid outdoorsman and hunter, you just want to go out and, and look at the wildlife. There's nothing better than to go out and relax and, and enjoy God's creation and see those animals in their natural environment. We want, we want that to be around forever. I couldn't agree more. What, uh, how long has Arizona had a Ducks Unlimited chapter? To be honest, I don't know when, when the first one was established. Um, I'd have to look into that for you or refer you to my regional director, Clint Pace, who's in charge of the state. Um, I tried to do a little dig and see when it when it was a first one in Arizona, but I didn't I didn't come up with anything. But I know there are guys out there that know way more about that than I do. <laughs> um, you said you you grew up in a small mountain town in in Colorado, right? Yes, sir. In Glenwood Springs. That's correct. OK. And you got into the outdoor industry and hunting and whatnot. What? What did you hunt or uh, what did you do in, in southwest Colorado when you guys were doing that kind of stuff? Uh, elk, deer, bear, mountain lion. Everything. Yeah, everything. Um, myself, a lot of deer and elk. Uh, shot a bear when I was like 18. That was cool. But it was more of a, a nuisance bear that was kind of okay. running around on one of our client's properties and messing with livestock and stuff. So he's like... You know, Grab a permit, come up and <laughs> grab we'll a take bear. Take care of this bear. <laughs> so it's good, but yeah, it's good. So there's kind of some conservation there too, you know, save some livestock and some land and terrorization of people. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so your hunting background came from big game. You move out here to Arizona. You get involved with uh, the Scottsdale chapter, correct? Yeah, originally, I, uh, Scottsdale has a big banquet every year, and I just started going. I'm a local entrepreneur here in Scottsdale area and um, like to give back. Like I said, been involved with Rocky Mountain Elks before and knew what Ducks Unlimited was, but I'd never really gone to any of their events. So Scottsdale had a uh, banquet and I went and bought a table and, um, you know, took some friends and stuff and started getting involved like that. I went year after year for a couple of years and finally one of the volunteers noticed that I was kind of a repeat pop-up guy at the 
events and said, hey, you want to come to one of our meetings? And I was like, I don't really know, you know, what to do or how I can help. And I went to the first meeting and I don't think I ever left. <laughs> That's what happens. I think that sounds very similar to, to me. Mike, Mike saw me uh, several years ago going to a lot of the CHA related stuff. It was like, you should, you know, come and hang out more and see what, see what we're about, see what you're about, you know, get to know each other more than just on the monthly seminars. And we've been lifelong friends ever since. Um, so what are some of the other ways that Ducks Unlimited, when you guys are having fundraising or these banquets like what Scottsdale had, how does that transpose into uh, conservation or uh, habitat restoration here in, in the southwest here in Arizona? Yeah, so every chapter kind of has their own events and own style of running things. Some hold dinner events and banquets. Um, some have Christmas parties or guns and gear parties, all kinds of stuff. There's a million things you could do. Uh, that's kind of what led me to start the Phoenix chapter back up. There used to be a Phoenix chapter, and it kind of went into resurgency for eight or ten years. I can't remember. Um kind of ran out of volunteers to help run it, keep events going. So I would presented some ideas to the guys at Scottsdale, and they do a phenomenal job at running a big banquet every year at their chapter. So they're like, man, we just don't have room to bring on some of these other things that you want to do. I was like, okay, that's cool, you know, try to figure out something else to do with it. And the regional director was like, well, you know, Phoenix didn't have a chapter anymore. You could go over there and try to start something. I was like, yeah, I think I will. That'd be cool. You know, the more chapters, the better. We're all on the same team. Uh, there's, there's no sense in not trying, you right. know, follow my face. I was like, I'll, I'll walk away or come back to Scottsdale or whatever. And, um, it's been good. So yeah, he let me, let me go over there and start a chapter. And I hold a annual clay shoot up at Ben Avery a sporting clay shoot in the spring. And, uh, and we were talking a little bit earlier. I hold a cigar and whiskey night now pretty regularly just for, Small, easygoing social events. It's not high stress, you know. Right. Come relax, hang out. And all the money that we earn from any of those events, every chapter, um, all proceeds go directly back into the ground, into wildlife and wetland restoration and conservation. <clears throat> That's awesome. That's great. And is there a percentage that stays here in Arizona, or does it go to the, the, the global, across the country and the other countries? When you, when the you're funds in general? Money, yeah, the funds in general. Yeah, so it... It's allocated across uh, all of the nation and Canada and New Mexico. And, and how they do it is basically whatever's – they triage it. Whatever's in need at the time or if they've got a big project going on, all chapters in all states kind of go into one fund. And then they pay for whatever current projects they're working on at the time and allocate funds accordingly. So it's not like all of Arizona's money stays in Arizona but no state is like that. You know, California doesn't stay in California. Mm -hmm. It all goes to the overall mission. And some people have a hard time with that. Well, why would I spend money in Arizona Ducks Unlimited if it's not going into projects here in Arizona? A lot of people have a hard time with that. We get that question a lot. But the truth is the priority, if you want ducks in Arizona, the money doesn't go into Arizona because they're not breeding here. You know, they, they pass over us as they're flying south. The breeding grounds is where the concentration is because we want more ducks to just be around in general. Mm -hmm. So we put a lot of money into the northern areas, the prairie pothole region, and um, that's how we get ducks here. People don't understand that until you kind of explain it to them. So the money does go here. We do have projects in Arizona. It's just not as abundant as some of the other states or it's not as vital right. as some of the land that we need to preserve up north in the breeding grounds. and. We're not getting 100 inches of rain here, so we're not going to have <laughs> wetlands even even in northern Arizona. We're lucky Arizona. to get one. <laughs> right. What are some of the, the the different events, or not events for fundraising, but what are some of the habitat things that you guys have done here in Arizona? Project-wise? Project-wise, yes. I know there's a, a project that they did, I can't remember how many years ago, but the Cibola area where they restored. Down in Yuma. Them. Yep, and uh, put put a lot of money into that, and I think we've... We were somewhere around 6,500 acres conserved in Arizona, um, which is a relatively small number in general. Like I said, Arizona is not a priority state for for projects because there's just, you know, like I said, one less than 1% of wetlands in Arizona. So um, there are projects. There is money that gets allocated here. I would say more impact happens from the volunteers and people that get involved than 
as the organization spending money in this state. And that's that's more important. You know, the funds need to go up north and stuff, like I said, um, to even allow us to have ducks here. But there's a lot of volunteers that go out and do river cleanups or restoration and, and stuff like that just on our own, you know. So right. I think that's kind of equally important for this state at least. And in the, those fly zones, when they are migrating, um, where are they stopping or do they stop or do they continue to fly over Arizona until they get to their breeding grounds? They, I, they do stop. Uh, they stop kind of along the way. It's, you know, they start up in Alaska, Canada, Prairie Pothole region, and, and all fly south. So they they are phenomenal animals. They, they put some miles on for sure. They do stop in Arizona. We do get that um, kind of magical point in the season where there's a lot of ducks there's an abundance of ducks but we also have a lot of golf courses here and um, sometimes it's harder to get them to go out on the little bit of water we have you know lakes and and rivers and stuff because it's too easy for them to be safe sitting on the golf course so right that's a little bit of a local frustration but not as many bobcats and coyotes on a on a golf course as, <laughs> as in the desert that's true um what other organizations are are there enough volunteers in Ducks Unlimited that they can do all the projects themselves, or do you guys partner with other conservation and outdoor groups in order to get either the funds and jointly combined in order to do big restoration projects where a large lake or a large pond is going to help? Sure. As we all know, it, it's going to all the water is going to help species, and it's going to be a trickle down effect. But if you know that you know it's a uh, home base for a specific species, but that is also a big pond for mule deer or elk in, in northern North America. Do you guys partner with other groups in order to, to accomplish the go- uh, like-minded goals? We do. So it's kind of a two-part answer for me, at least. Um, you asked about volunteers, and then if we partnered. Volunteer-wise, of course, we could always use more volunteers. Uh, we never have enough of that. And that's what makes the organization run. Um, we are primarily, like I said, a a volunteer organization. And without us setting up events and fundraising and doing that grassroots type fundraising, none of it happens. Right. And it's those small events like I hold in my chapter, like Scottsdale holds their banquet that secures funds for things to happen. We stop having events, then there's no restoration happening anywhere. You know, Um, there are people that are large donors or, you know, across the nation that w- when they die, they have <clears throat> settlements and estate sales and stuff like that, that mm-hmm. they give and leave to DU. And that's, that's one kind of smaller portion of our income, but the grassroots fundraising, the local events that you go to and can get involved here locally is, is where it's at. That's our bread and butter. And then to answer your other question, we do partner with a lot of organizations to complete those, missions uh arizona game and fish here locally we work with them but the u.s game and fish in general ducks limited is is worked closely with them uh other government agencies anything to do with wetlands and and wildlife restoration in general we even partner with private ranchers and farmers to conserve their land sometimes or uh, kind of wherever the need is. If it falls in public land, we work with those government agencies. If it right. falls on private land and there's a need for that, we work with farmers to to restore that habitat as well. I could see how important it would be. To, I mean, it's tons of red tape dealing with governmental agencies, but it, just being nice and cordial and going out there and explaining how it's going to benefit a rancher or a farmer, you got to sell it, you know, how how it will impact their, their crop or their livestock and how it will impact and help uh, native wildlife, too. Absolutely. Extending that olive branch and just, you know, being kind and courteous is going to go a long way. And I'm sure they're more than happy to, to partner with people over and over again once you establish that friendship, correct? Absolutely. And in a lot of the cases, um, I can't speak about specific events, but maybe just a hypothetical if a rancher or farmer may be losing his land or forced to sell or, you know, someone wants to build a city where his ranch was, a lot of the times, you know, it's organizations like us that could go in mm-hmm. and secure that land and keep it a natural habitat for for wildlife and not turn it into a concrete jungle. So, And we see that here in Phoenix um, and even some of the smaller cities. <laughs> Mike, Mike knows that better than anybody with some of the stuff he does 
um, on a daily basis. But Phoenix is expanding, and it's just it's not getting any smaller. And I'm sure it's encroaching, and it'll keep encroaching. It's it's the cost of progress, but at the same time, you're you're losing native land that you know some of those animal species do rely on. Yes, sir. Mike, can you touch on that at all? I was going to expand on that. I think the unforeseen of what you guys do in conservation is, is we're hunters, we're conservationists and what you guys are doing. But you really have no, there's a non-hunter section that's probably 95% of our population that ha- reaps all these benefits and rewards of everything you guys are doing, especially when you have all these wetlands and they're going, they're visiting, they're witnessing the wildlife. There's different docks and different things. I mean, I've seen some of it down south on the on the Verde where there's they flip some of that wetland just part of our waste treatment plants and things like that. And almost everybody that I run into when I'm in those areas, they're non-hunters. They're just there enjoying it. I think that's a cause and effect of your banquets and all the money you're raising at the national level. It's it's all these non-hunters that are reaping the rewards and, and having that benefit of, of witnessing all of your hard work. And I think that's something that somehow we got to get out there that we can tap into this 95% of the population that's they're using it they have the rewards you know they're enjoying it but they're not actually contributing helping you raise that money for it so it's one of those unforeseen things that they just assume that it's the government taking care of it but they don't know it's conservation groups like ducks unlimited absolutely and i i joke with people like i said they, they think we're kind of primary duck horner, duck hunting organization and some days i wish that it was called like wetlands unlimited or something like that because people truly don't understand the amount of, of money and projects and stuff that we do restore and how much we benefit, you know, not just hunters. Uh, there's there's a large number of volunteers and people in the organization that don't hunt. They're, they're in it for the conservation reasons, and that's what I try to focus on as well when I tell people about it. Oh, I don't duck hunt. You don't need to duck hunt. Do you care about the land? Do you care about conserving that land? Do you want your kids to go enjoy that land like we do and well yeah of course and it's like okay well that's that's what we do right we're not just duck hunters we're not just hunters in general we are conservationists that's what that's the business that we are in and you know you start telling them about the 700 species of wildlife that affects and clean water and all the benefits of doing this type of stuff and they're like oh, i had no idea you know how do i get involved and they may never shoot a duck in their life which is fine there's a lot of people like that right um, but they're in it for the conservation and environmental reasons. And I think that's kind of one of my focuses, at least as a Phoenix area chairman, is recruiting people like that. And you have to. You, we need those people to support us um, because they are the majority. You have, to, you have to maintain those friendships and those relationships because if, if you only have like-minded people and you're the you know, 10% of the population, you got to... Like, you got to be able to explain how it's going to impact them, how they're going to benefit from it. If they want to go out and, you know, use their binoculars and only look at birds or look at ducks or Absolutely. anything from a distance, and like you said, never hunt them, have no desire to go out there and hunt or fish or anything. But if we don't do what we're doing, then you're not going to be able to even see them. Do you guys partner with um i know you guys said you you partner with u.s fish and wildlife and arizona game and fish do you guys within those do you know of anybody with ducks unlimited that that's like on the ground with them and and doing projects with a biologist to see how they can impact um certain things whether like your restoration projects in a northern portion of the state or in the northern portion of north america and united states sure not trying to get too confusing but if you guys have biologists or you guys have uh people that partner with those biologists to see how it you know instead of just you know throwing an idea out there how can we really really benefit these animals and then your your projects are based off of you know scientific data that they say this is what's needed or we need this much uh land in order to grow these wetlands back and whatnot does that make sense Absolutely, yeah. So I don't know of any specific names or organizations. Um, said I kind of just run the local chapter, but I I do know that Ducks Unlimited has volunteer and staffed biologists on hand that okay. are scattered across the nation. That's and great. That's all they do full time is studies, and they're out there just walking around on those on those you know areas and the the grasslands and the wetlands and studying what they can do to restore that those wetlands or 
increase the populations or increase water flow to the local area, whatever it is, we do have dedicated full-time biologists on our end, and they do work with biologists from whatever local game and fish, you know, entity or mm-hmm. government agencies are, are working in that area as well. So that's good. There's yeah. a lot of cooperation there. That's good. No, that's fantastic because I know science is the, is the backbone of almost the North American model or the North American model, which our Arizona Game and Fish uses, plus a lot of the other Game and Fish departments. You know, that's their foundation is the science and the research and understanding the ecosystem. And, you know, I think Absolutely. that's that's the part that I think most of us don't realize of the conservation side is how much impact that those biologists are using to look at the studies and they understand the fly zones, like I said, the, the water the impacts, the marshland, and all that domino effect of all those different species. And to me, that's huge because that's all the stuff that's behind the scene that just happens. And all of a sudden, we walk up four or five years later, and here's this beautiful oasis that is full of wildlife. Absolutely. And I know Ducks Unlimited has even been involved with, um, like, oil spills in the south coast and stuff, um, like Gulf of Mexico and right. those areas. If there's an oil spill, I mean, that greatly affects, of course, water quality and and a lot of wildlife in general, again, you know, not just ducks. So um, where there's a need and where there's, you know, a necessity to clean up an area for for humans and wildlife, you mm-hmm. know, or water cleanliness and environmental services in general, uh, Ducks Unlimited can, can and has stepped in and do what they can to help, you know. Great. Yeah, and it seems like there's got to be a way we could get social media out there and, and basically describe what you guys do. I mean, I think that's probably the the frustration from my side is I've, I've always known about you guys. I'm born and raised in Arizona. I've been exposed a little bit, but I've always known that that was your conservation. That's what you guys do. But having this in-depth knowledge, if, if the general public really knew and there was articles and there was in different magazines, you would think that it would grab all these different people. I mean, I'm just thinking like when you get on like Southwest Airlines and I fly and I grab that little magazine you read and all of a sudden here's Ducks Unlimited and this is what we do and yes, we're looking for partners. It's amazing. To me, that would be a win-win just bringing education and how many people are looking through magazines trying to read something that are a general magazine it has nothing to do with hunting, but it's just here. Here's an article on a conservation group that's a nonprofit that's making a difference that every one of us can enjoy and appreciate, you know. I think if more people understood what Ducks Unlimited did instead of just, you know, it's a very iconic logo. A lot of people have seen the Duckhead logo and yep. just assume, you know, again, duck hunting organization or whatever that they assume, they truly don't know how much work gets done across these three countries that impact their daily life. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the water that they take a shower with in the morning or make their coffee with is affected by wetlands. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they do not understand that. So it really is about education. And there's a little bit of frustration of trying to get that information out without people just going, oh, you know, no, I'm not into duck hunting. Well, <laughs> you know, again, you got to start over and explain it from the beginning. But um, I do wish we had more presence here. We do need volunteers desperately. And I'm sure as most nonprofit volunteer ran organizations do. But, you know, I, I encourage anyone listening, if they do want to get involved or learn more about of course, anything, Christian Hunters of America, Rocky Mountain Elk, Ducks Unlimited, any of them, get involved with the local chapter. Of course, I'm a little... You're partially biased? A little, little partial to Ducks <laughs> Unlimited, but um, just get involved at any level, you know? it's We're never going to be able to pass any of this land down if people don't get involved. If, if anyone uh, follows us on Instagram, you guys can definitely see Austin... Um, on Phoenix Ducks Unlimited Instagram, he's always doing his raffles and has his uh, his little kids there helping him with the drawings, just like we do on a lot of our drawings. If we're at Ross Outdoors or some of the other places, you'll see us. But on any of our big groups or big seminars, when we have family, we want to get them involved too. Kind of goes and segues into my next question and having them there taking the kids outside um exposing them so that they're interested in that so that they like the animals and just kids being kids wanting to play outside but how do you guys continue to get um kids to foster that type of creativity and interest in in the animals or in ducks specifically and yeah and doing the habitat stuff that's really what it's all about for me the the bigger picture of land and environmental con- conservation in general is the idea to you know pass down this land to our next generations and our kids and leave it better than we left it hopefully or that we found it and 
I try to raise my kids that way. They love going to Ducks Unlimited events. They love being involved with it. I take them hunting. Um, I really have worked hard as a just a father just to make sure that their interests are outdoors if they want it. If they, you know, they all naturally show an interest in it, and that's what drives me. So I try to carry that over at least in my chapter, and I know Dex Unlimited does across the nation as well. But uh, we have what they call Green Wings, okay, and that's what we call our youth, seventeen and under. So you can get them involved. There's a lot of um, youth hunts and and green wing specific events or green wing portion of events like at these dinners and stuff that at your local banquets to where it does spark the interest of kids and hopefully they grow up around that and and you know see what needs to happen as they grow up i think in general there's a decline of kids that are interested in this oh, as yeah. opposed to 10 15 years ago where you know it was a little easier to keep that cycle going to you know your kids were around it and brought up and i think that's kind of fizzling out so a lot less internet and a lot less tablets back that, then. That is for sure, my friend. Um, so yeah, trying to keep kids and and women. I have a big focus on trying to get you know women involved too, wives, families, because it's really families. If you mm-hmm. try to target just the men or the stereotypical type of you know demographic, um, yeah, it works. That is that is the vast majority, but. I really like to get families involved. And I know like my wife and kids all love being involved with Ducks Unlimited and helping me run the Phoenix chapter. My wife does all of our raffles. She handwrites every single one of those raffle tickets that wow. go into a bucket. It's hundreds of them every time we do a raffle. So there's a lot of people like that behind the scenes that don't get any recognition. And, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't do it without my family. And um, but yeah, we, we do have events that try to keep them sparked and, I know Mike and I can say the same thing. Our wives support us. Our wives help us on um, on different events. Mike's wife is is the bread and butter behind a lot of our raffles. And when we have some of those big big ticket items that you know require a lot, um, <clears throat> everybody that's seen our raffles, we we try to do it um, as fair and and as as fair as possible. So everybody's names in there. Yes, we sir. let someone else draw it or a kid yep. draw it. And putting all those names in the order that they buy those tickets is very, very time-consuming. Um, and it, we are an all-volunteer-based group as well. CHA is all volunteers. So it, there is a ton of time and effort behind that. The seminars, all that kind of stuff, all, all goes right back into, you know, getting guests to come speak, um, getting mentored hunts like we do or or whatnot in the seminars that we hold throughout the year so I, I i applaud all everybody and all the other conservation groups that are trying to get families involved because if you get families involved and everybody wants to be there and then just it keeps expanding i agree yeah I've, I've had really good luck trying to target you know moms and women or kids and stuff like that mm-hmm. um you know we do like a mother's day raffle and not a lot of chapters do that type of thing but i try to gear specific events or raffles towards different demographics and change it up and and get them involved because you get you go to a dinner event let's say scottsdale's banquet right they throw they throw a great banquet if it's just like oh daddy's gonna be gone for the night you know he's gonna be back in a couple hours we're gonna miss out on family time right and you know wife and kids at home aren't going to experience what dad's going to experience right you make it a family event and make make it to where there's a little bit of interesting things for everybody there that's how you get the families involved. And that's right. how you keep it going for generations. So, that's I couldn't agree more. We try to do that. We have a lot of the youth events, um, mentored hunts with us as well, and our big seminars. We have local scouts, or we could get Girl Scouts if they were interested. If anyone is interested in that's great. in uh, having kids involved in more Ducks Unlimited or Christian Hunters of America, definitely feel free to reach out to us. Yeah, we, we definitely want families women children and and other men more involved everybody's short on volunteers um family time is precious so why not kind of kill two birds with one stone and, and enjoy your family and enjoy your passion whether it's uh, whoever is in, involved directly but have your spouse or your significant other and your kids bring them into these events and start them young and start that appreciation and love for 
habitats or the animals or any type of conservation, even if they're not into hunting, just getting outdoors and, and some exercise is good for the body and for the soul. So yeah. you're, you're outside and breathing that clean air. It, it, it's great. If, if we don't get our, our kids involved in it, then nobody will learn or mm-hmm. understand how important the mission is. And, and the land conservation will die with us, our generation here. Correct. If nobody gets the next generation involved and educates them, then it dies with us. And so it is absolutely vital to get families and kids, youth involved to carry on that legacy and keep it going. Right. Well, we've talked a little bit about uh, the conservation aspect and how it applies to people that are hunters or are not. Let's let's talk a little bit about some fun stuff. Let's talk about some some hunting. Sounds what good. Um, what are some ducks that you've hunted here in Arizona that you guys have got to experience? And then what are some of the your more favorite ducks in in some of the other states? Sure. So we get pretty good mixed bag of ducks in Arizona actually um, there there's some ducks that don't make it over on the western flyways as as you know they might be more prevalent on the eastern like wood ducks mm-hmm. um, I have seen some people shoot wood ducks here they're pretty far and few between though but we in general get a lot of mallards um, green wing teal some blue wing teal I've seen a couple people pull cinnamon teal out of here which is is really cool i've seen a few flying around as well and um we really do get a mixed bag of all uh puddle ducks and diver ducks so okay a little bit of everything and in some of the other states um like you're from colorado are they experiencing because of a cooler climate are they having different species there that you see more prevalent um i would say we're probably pretty similar it's not a huge change, I don't think, from Arizona to Colorado. Just okay. more abundancy in general, though. Colorado is more of a desired route for ducks to take than than through Arizona. But we do get resident ducks here, too, what we call resident ducks, which kind of stay here year-round. They okay. don't ever really move move around too much. But uh, a lot of mallards and... Um, Those are the green heads that everybody's the, common the, with. The, the famous green heads, yeah. That's that you see at all the golf courses throughout <laughs> throughout Arizona. They they love the golf course water and, and why wouldn't you? Yeah, there's <laughs> there's something about them green heads that are, are magical for everybody and I think they hold a special place in every duck hunter's heart. So Absolutely. That's kind of the one of the gold standards for duck hunting is, is there trying a, to get those mallards. Is there a species that you that you want or that you uh that you want to either harvest to eat um there's a certain i've never had duck how does it taste and and is there different taste between different species there absolutely is yeah um to answer your first question my my duck that is elusive to me is is wood ducks and it's a lot more prevalent in the south and the east flyaways um you know they they shoot wood ducks like we shoot literally anything else here you know it's just all day so I'm, I'm a little jealous and i've not made it out that way to shoot any wood ducks yet but that's that's my goal i think they're just such a pretty bird they're a little different looking than everybody else they've got kind of that you know feathered hood on top of their head and, um what color are they if for people listening they are man they're all kinds of multicolored on their head um they're a little bit smaller ducks so not a huge body but when you see a wood duck you there's no mistake in it, and that's another kind of side side note of duck hunting is you know out there on the blind and it's sunrise is barely coming up, it's dark, it's hide, it's hard to identify all the different types of ducks there are. Right. Um, so you have to. That's why I like duck hunting too. Is you know you big game hunting, you get an elk in your sights, you pull the trigger once, if you know, ideally and yeah, then the ideally work begins, if you make you know? an ethical shot, it's once. But with with duck hunting kind of side tangent you know it's a constant battle of trying to see ducks or hear ducks or the the sound of their wing beat how fast it is or slow it is can help you identify certain ducks over other ones or large body and small body or the way they sound they all have different sounds everybody thinks ducks just go quack right and there's actually dozens and dozens of noises that each species makes so to me it's a constant identification and, and stuff of the, the duck hunting that makes it challenging and makes it fun. Um, 
and there's bag limits on certain species too. So, you know, you're out in the, the duck blind and you've shot two or three birds already. You have to, okay, what do I have? I can only have two Mexican ducks um, or whatever the limit is in, in your in in your area. But um, so you have to be like, okay, I can't shoot another one of these ducks, but I can shoot these types of ducks. And it really makes it more fun. It's like a game. Right. You know? And, Absolutely. But. And, and that's crucial. I, I mean, it goes uh a little bit like firearm safety and a little bit like, you know, target acquisition. You have to know those species. That's why it's important. That plays a part into the conservation, too. You think you're, um, it's only one duck, but if everybody felt that same way and you're like, okay, I'm only allowed two. Well, there, that two limit is because it's a science-based information that's been given by uh, the biologists that then give it to the law enforcement uh, branch of wildlife conservation and they put that in place so that they are there forever so we've talked about the the water restoration we've talked about habitat and and all the different projects that you guys have but it, you know a lot of people think oh I, I accidentally shot a third one because you didn't properly identify that but if everybody that was duck hunting and you you thought you had three uh mallards or you thought you had three greenheads and one of them was a teal then Maybe you're, that's not in season, or maybe you weren't even allowed to have that at all. Exactly. And that kind of correlates to all the other stuff, too. you got to have proper identification, no jumping out of your blind just because you see a waterfall land uh, in whatever body of water that you're looking and just exactly. start blasting. Yep. And, and there's also limits uh, within the species and everything, too, of um, hens versus drakes. Mm -hmm. So you can't shoot X amount of hens in you know that's good too because that's you know you shoot all the hens and then well, you know you're not gonna have any baby ducks you're not have any babies exactly <laughs> yeah, so exactly. and to answer your other question yeah ducks do taste different within the species as well um mallards are kind of one of the the tastier easier eating ducks most people if they're gonna try wild duck tend to like mallard okay one of the one of the best uh canvasbacks are also really good eating and then you got some some junkier ducks that um, are oily or more fatty, or it really is kind of amazing how different the variety, the the taste and the textures of each duck. Right. There's some ducks that I just will not eat, so I don't shoot them. Is and that because of where they live and what they eat, or just that's just their biology, that's their makeup? I can't say for sure. That's definitely more of a science-based question than I'm more familiar with. <laughs> I would say, if I had to guess, it would be a combination of of their body type and their biology and then also what they eat. You right. Know? Um, there are diver ducks and there's puddle ducks. And um, depending on their diet, I think it could affect them. But in general, I think for the most part, if you shoot a mallard in California, you shoot a mallard in Louisiana, mallards for the most part taste the same. So... Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Mike, have you ever had duck? Yep, we did. Um, <laughs> so what we did is we cooked it up on the grill. Then we, uh, once it was all cooked up, we grabbed a bunch of dirt inside it and ate the dirt and said throughout the duck. <laughs> and that's kind of was our mentality. You know, it was almost the dirt was better tasting. But, but no, that's just a joke. But that's that's how I was raised, though. You know, they always said, hey, never shoot a duck unless you're going to eat it. And I remember the first time we shot a duck. We had to eat the whole thing, and yep. uh, and since then I've never hunted ducks because I, d I didn't want to shoot something I didn't want to harvest, and because I do like to enjoy what I eat. But then a friend of mine, he loves making sausages and jerkies and different things, and he ground it up, and you had no idea, and it was fantastic. So I, I like to tell people it's it's like any wild game. It depends on um, how it was harvested, temperatures that it was kept at in the field, and how you prepare it at home. Uh, that can really make it or break it for people and either ruin them or make them love it. And I've had great duck and I've had terrible duck. And right. it really is the preparation that goes into it. Um, teal, any of the teal are, are amazing to eat, but they're really small bodied ducks. So you don't get as much meat off of them. And wild ducks in general just don't have as much fat as like, if you went to the grocery store and found like a, you know, duck breast to, to right. cook up, those have more fat in them, the farm-raised ducks and stuff. So people have this kind of unrealistic expectation if they've ever been to a nice restaurant and had a, a really good duck breast, you know, that wasn't a wild duck. Right. So it, it's not quite the same, but if you do it right and you know how to cook duck, it is phenomenal. Uh, 
Yep, and I, I would say, especially here in Arizona, so I go back to duck season, you know, when we hunted, it was like in November. We still get 90-degree days here in Arizona, especially in the, the desert down here. And I remember the first time we were duck hunting, I, we were mainly quail hunting at the time, then also you see the ducks, and we always carried the stamps, and let's go shoot some ducks. And this is 25 years ago. But then we shoot the ducks, we throw them in the back of the truck, and they roll around the back of the truck for the next six, eight hours. Then, yep. then at the end of the day, here we are <laughs> cleaning everything, and you, and you think about that. So you think about here's the duck you shot. It's stiff as a board. It's been roasted in the hot sun. It's basically it's spoiled. It's it's rotten. Yeah. To it. Then we try to eat it, and of course it's going to taste really bad. Exactly. You know, and that's a great point is, you know, especially here when it's hot, you know, make sure you're putting it in the cooler or if you got to dress it out and breast it out, you know, do it at that time instead of waiting hours and hours and hours. Absolutely. The sooner you can get it into a cooler and, you know, get it cooling back down, the the better, obviously. And But, man, I, I've been on a lot of hunts where, you know, you start at 530 in the morning or whatever, 6 o'clock, whenever first shooting light is at the time, and harvest a duck right off the bat, and we'll sit there till noon, 1 o'clock, keep hunting. And those ducks have been sitting out there four or five, six hours a lot of the times. And uh, I've, I've always been lucky. I haven't had any spoilage or anything like that, even in the Arizona sun. So, yeah, if you let it go too long, obviously you're going to start running into problems. But you are safe to have them out for several hours. So Yep, for sure. Then my next question is, is growing up you know, in Arizona, a lot of us were kids, and we just – ducks was always a – Hey, look at there's ducks and let's go shoot it. It was always one of those happen chance, and most time we were out quail hunting. Sure. So, what about you know the type of shotgun and, and the loads and things? And of course, back when we were young, you know, in our teenage years and early twenties, it was whatever loads we had in our pocket. We were shooting at those ducks. Exactly. Which, when you look back, and that's that's not fair to the ducks, especially when they're getting up and they're flying thirty, forty, and yeah. I'm sure we we got pellets in them, and but they didn't fall. You know. So, do you want to kind of hit talk about the type of loads you should be using for ducks and the types of guns and what would be the best economical to be harvested to have that fair harvest for the ducks? Absolutely. So, yeah, of course, with, with anything, uh, the size of the bird and things like that will determine your shot size, stuff like that. Um, if you're hunting more open fields and you need to reach out a little further, you know, you might be shooting number twos. Uh, I usually shoot three-inch shells. Uh, that's just me. I know guys that shoot two and three quarters, it works, and it, more short distances, you know, if you're sitting right on top of water and you don't have to shoot very far, that can work too, but I tend to shoot in the four-shot range, sometimes six, just depending. Um, it seems to work really well around here. I shoot a 12-gauge, but 20-gauge works great as well. Really harvest a duck with, you know, you could do it with a 410 and a little kid if you've had the right conditions, but in general, I think a 12 and a 20 are... are good gauges to stay within and your go-to shotguns yeah that yep. four to six shot yep um and you have to use steel shot you cannot use lead shot over water uh for obvious reasons you know we're trying to conserve that water and that land anyway it'd be silly if we started shooting lead into it so steel shot or like tungsten there's all these other new you know bismuth and mm-hmm. things coming out of the market now which are which are good but yeah you have to have at least like a steel shot or non-lead based shot to, to shoot waterfowl or anything over waterways that's yep. smart. And that's a great point because I know there's a lot of target shooters that go out there. They just go out in the desert. They find a body of water, and there's nothing more fun than shooting water right? You know, and watching it. Yeah. And so about an educational side is just educating our target shooters. People love to go out and shoot their firearms of knowing that when they're putting that lead into these waterways, what they're doing, the cause and effect, and they probably have no idea what they're doing. That's absolutely right. Yeah, they have, they have no idea. They're not thinking about any further consequences down the road other than, you know, having fun and goofing off right there. And uh, we probably all did it growing up and probably didn't think about it. But as you grow up and learn about these things, it makes a lot of sense. You know, you're poisoning lakes, rivers, anything else, the, the fish that are in it. And people wonder why the, you know, there's mercury or lead rising con- contents inside of our fish and stuff. And mm. so it's not saying that's directly related, but in general, the the poisoning of our lands in general from, just humans existing is definitely on the rise and why we work so hard to, to save those wetlands. Wetlands act as a natural filter for water. So, mm-hmm. you know, those oil spills that we're talking about or anything else, if there was an accident or a dump in a stream, if it goes through a wetland, it filters that. It does an amazing job. It's God's way of filtering water right there. Yeah, so that's sure. why wetlands are so important for Absolutely, us. Absolutely, 100%. 
Have you, like I said, I'm, I'm not a big uh, duck hunter. I haven't ever gone, but I know that. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. You're going to make me want to go hunt uh, ducks a little bit more, and you're definitely going to make me want to try. You've made me want to try a mallard. I, I want to try and see what it tastes like because we have the negative connotation, everybody here, that we take out on javelina hunting. That's there, a deal. There's no way I'm eating javelina. That's garbage. Yep. And then Mike showed me, and I've done the, the kind of, the challenge I call it with with guys at work or or people that you uh, that you do take hunting, they're like, yeah, I want to harvest a javelina, I want to go out and and shoot a pig, but they don't want to eat it. Right. And that's some of the stuff that we foster and teach too. That you're you're being a good steward and you're being a good hunter because you are eating what you harvest. You're not shooting just for the sake of shooting. And then when you get people to try it and you, Mike is a phenomenal jerky maker. He can turn anything. I'm sure he can turn something that was spoiled into good <laughs> because of his seasonings and whatnot that he's done. But we get a lot of people that are like, that's javelina. Wow. You know, and it goes back to the preparation. If you are exactly. hunting it and, and it's in a central Arizona or Northern Arizona versus Southern Arizona, if you, go and take that animal and it takes you know if you wound it you know it's releasing adrenaline into its system and then if it took a long time for you to find that blood trail and get it and if it required a follow-up shot or you know any number of variables but yeah all, all that preparation out. you know and leaving it out there leaving the skin on versus getting it starting to cool off and i think a lot of the people that probably have had javelina and a lot of the people that have probably had duck probably feel the same way that okay if you had it and it was properly cleaned and harvested and kept cool from the get-go you might enjoy it a whole lot better and you wouldn't have to put all these seasonings in it you could have it Absolutely. how it's it's intended to be enjoyed yeah uh, i'll definitely make you a deal i'll get you out duck hunting we'll see about this fall and, okay uh, I'll get you one of those mallards and we'll cook it up. And see if we see if we can make it palatable for you. Awesome. I awesome. like to make mine into duck confit. Okay. It seems to be the best way that I've figured out how to make wild duck taste awesome. the the most palatable to people that haven't had it. Okay. So what is that exactly? So duck confit is where you slow roast or cook a duck in its own fat. And it renders down the fat and then it cooks in its own fat for for a while and it's kind of the equivalent of doing like a pot roaster, you know, slow cooker or something like that, but just within its own fat. Okay. Um, I like to do mine with the sous vide method. If people aren't familiar with sous vide, it's vacuum sealing the meat with whatever ingredients you want into a bag and placing it in a water bath that constantly circulates water around it at a certain temperature, a okay. very precise temperature. And you can do steaks. You can do literally any, any food you could cook in the sous vide method, but I found with ducks it works really well because we talked about the fat content of a farm duck versus a wild duck. Um, it doesn't have a lot of that extra fat, so it needs to cook. It needs something more compressed to to hold that fat in. So vacuum sealing it is the perfect option for that. Um, so I tried dry doing wild, out and whatnot stays moist, right? Yeah, okay. I tried doing wild duck like in the oven, doing it confit like a traditional style, and it just dries up and burns out. You just can't keep enough fat in it. Unless you like buy a jar of fat, you know, right. <laughs> dump on top of it, but that's not the same. So vacuum sealing it and doing it sous vide style is ideal. It comes out perfect every single time. It's like the no fail method. Mike, you up for that challenge? Let's too? do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. And a friend of mine says he uses the Instant Pot. So he's got the Instant Pot. He puts his duck, breast it, yeah. puts it in there with the vegetables and different things in there. And Absolutely. It comes out and it comes out perfect. Yep. Because the Instant Pot creates that moisture and it keeps it moist and doesn't dry out and he said it's fantastic that's one of the keys of course like any wild game is keeping it moist and and tender and juicy you know no one likes chewing on leather <laughs> no no we've had we've made mistakes and forgot to turn the the timer on on a, on a jerky batch and <laughs> and it comes out like like you're chewing on your belt yep. but um can you touch on what everybody always <clears throat> wants when they're duck hunting or or a lot of bird hunting, they want a banded duck. What is so special about getting a banded duck? Country board jewelry right there. Okay. <laughs> no, um, banding is a really special process or a special harvest for people because it's so rare. Uh, you think about the sheer numbers of ducks in general. Um, the reason that they get banded is so that we can track their migration habits and their 
um, breeding habits and where they come from. And that's what our scientists and other scientists use and our biologists use that data collected from bands to come up with, you know, the numbers and the, the research and the answers that we need to, you know, okay, this is where we need to put our money because mm-hmm. this is where ducks are coming from or this is where they're breeding or what have you. Um, but the, the number of ducks that get banded are super small percentage. I don't even know the number, but it's pretty small in the vast, you know, majority or the, the vast numbers of, of ducks that are out there. So it's pretty rare to find a banded duck. And I know people that have shot dozens. I know people that have shot none. I've never shot one. It's about my third year duck hunting, though, since I've been out here. So um, I've not had the pleasure yet. But I know guys that have been hunting their whole lives. You know, they're from Texas. They had phenomenal duck hunting, and they've only shot maybe a handful ever. Really? And uh, so it, it really is just a gamble, uh, just a kind of a luck thing. Um, but it, it is kind of a treat. It is something to, to kind of be treasured for sure. When, when you shoot a duck and it has a band on it, there's a number on it you can call, turn it back in, and uh, read the band number, and they'll tell you, oh, that duck was banded in the Prairie Pothole region or in Alaska or wherever it was. They can trace exactly how old that bird was and where it came from. and So you're helping them, too, and you get a little bit of bragging rights by by showing your buddies that you, 100%. you got one. Yep. Nope. Yeah, it really is. It's a cool thing for the hunter to harvest, but it really does, uh, it, it's vital in the, the scientist and biology aspect of it for giving us more information to keep doing what we do with, you know, in the future. Awesome. Mike, you got any more questions? So the last thing I have is you gave us these pretty amazing looking little Arizona Phoenix Ducks Unlimited stickers. You want yeah. to tell us a little about these stickers and how people can find out these amazing stickers? I wish you guys can see them, but it is very unique, and, and there's a lot of a lot of artistic and a lot of vision within this sticker. Absolutely. So part of um, being an area chairman for Ducks Unlimited chapter um, and being Phoenix, like, like I said, I kind of had these ideas that were a little bit out of the box, uh, non-typical from the standard Ducks Unlimited kind of platform. Kind of like drinking and, whiskey and smoking cigars? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. No. <laughs> I'm just targeting a set demographic. No. Yeah, that's all right. Um, Ducks Unlimited does great jobs, like I said, at running banquets and kind of the typical nonprofit organization type stuff. And and we absolutely need those chapters to continue doing those. But I, I saw a need and a want from people that wanted to get involved, but they didn't want to just go to a dinner event or they didn't want to just, you know, kind of do the the typical anymore. So that's why I started Phoenix. And we kind of jokingly said that we were the rogue chapter of Ducks Unlimited and it kind of stuck. And uh, people started taking notice pretty quick that, that we were doing the non-typical and targeting people that weren't duck hunters or just into conservation. Um, we hold a, uh, annual event at Bain Avery, like I said earlier, with our, our sporting clay shoot. And you don't have to be a duck hunter to shoot sporting clays. You don't have to be a conservationist. You can, a lot of people just like go and shoot sporting clays, you know? Right. And that's kind of that expanding our horizons target that I've, I've been trying to aim for and get people that think we're just a duck hunting organization to realize what we do. And, and that's how I wrote people in like that, you know, the educational portion of expanding our demographics. So between that and um, doing some other out-of-the-box cigar and whiskey type night and stuff, I was like, I, I really feel like we need to brand ourselves different. And I want to make my own custom logo so that everybody knows when this logo is on an event or on a raffle, it's Phoenix. And you can't deny it. You can't mix it up with anybody else. We're we're different. And so I hand-drew kind of a, a sketch of what I wanted to wanted to do I put a cowboy hat on the iconic Ducks Unlimited duck head and uh, put a little attitude in it a little Arizona flair um, it looks incredible well thank you I appreciate that I, the I sent, cactus on there and everything it looks good. yeah we put a cactus on there and a little background some ducks flying overhead but um, kudos to limitless graphics up in North Phoenix for taking my idea that I sketched and um, they did our digitization and and actually printed these stickers for us that you guys are holding now. But uh, they, they really took my vision and my sketch and turned it into a beautiful design. And 
We'll put this up on Instagram and Facebook on, on Christian Hunters of America so you guys can see what we're talking about. But Appreciate it, it. It's a sticker in the shape of the state of Arizona, and on the, the right-hand side you have a big uh, saguaro in green. you got the iconic uh, duck head looking in the, the right in the direction, and then he's got a nice western cowboy hat on. And uh, you got some ducks flying in the background, and like you said, you got the orange and the the yellows and the reds that that look like our desert and our canyons. It, it's a one-off sticker um, that that turned out great. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think it encompasses what we stand for at Phoenix Ducks Unlimited. Um, you know, we, we we pray at our events, and uh, we try to keep God the center of our of our chapter at least, and I'm not speaking about Ducks Unlimited as an organization because I can't, but at least for my chapter, as long as I've been involved with it, um, I like to keep God the, the center and focus of our chapter, and I, I'd mm-hmm. like to think that's why we've had so much success keeping things going and roping in new people and generations that probably would have never otherwise been involved with Ducks Unlimited. So that's why we're the rogue chapter. I think it kind of encompasses our, our attitude and our outlawness of... of straying from the path a little bit but um not to say that other other chapters is a little friendly competition of course you know but we're all of course playing on the same team we're all the same family we all have the same mission but there's that little friendly competition between all of us you know nothing wrong with some healthy competition (laughs) mike and i if you go out shooting or with any of your buddies hunting or not you go out archery shooting you want to hit that 12 ring or you want to go out and uh shoot as many clays i'm taking you know nine out of ten and you got eight it's always about that friendly competition it makes you better good good camaraderie and uh, good fellowship absolutely so. and the best competition is he drives a poor chevy and i drive a ford which oh, is much much boy. more better than, a, than the gmc <laughs> he, he, he's, he's driving so he's bringing so, that up we won't so. even go down that rabbit hole folks. <laughs> <laughs> i'll probably have to tow him somewhere anyway um Austin, how can people reach out to you, and how can they get in touch with your chapter, the Phoenix Ducks Unlimited, and uh, other chapters? Yeah, that's uh, that's great. We have uh, Facebook and Instagram social media presence, and both of those handles are PHX Ducks Unlimited. So at PHX Ducks Unlimited on Facebook and Instagram. Um, if they want to know more about upcoming events in the state of Arizona in general, you can go to ducks.org and search by state and that's you know goes for anywhere um any of our raffles and stuff we have our own website you can always check out whatever raffles or events we have going on and that website is phoenix uh, okay and um there's uh sorry regional director is clint pace and he's in charge of the entire state so that that one guy that's in charge of each state and he's actually in charge of new mexico as well so I think he's one of the only RDs that has two states under his command. His name is Clint Pace, and uh, if you guys are interested in volunteering for Phoenix Ducks Unlimited, you can reach out to us on social media. You can DM us at either one of those, or you can give me a call. My cell phone's 970-948-3337. And Clint Pace, the regional director, was involved with, like I said, two states. If you have any other more technical questions or um, want to get involved in a different chapter within the state, he can get you hooked up there. And his number is 480-323-0545. And he's just a absolute wealth of knowledge and information. He's, his passion for this organization is second to none. It's not like I've seen anybody else. But, um, yeah, it really is family. And uh, you get involved, and you get involved for the right reasons, but you stay for the family. 100%. And like we always do at the end of our podcast, we always end in a prayer. Mike, if you could bring us to a close and end in a prayer. I sure can. All right, Lord God in heaven, we just uh, we love you, Lord, and we just thank you, Lord, for another incredible conservation group that has the foundation of family. Um, one of the things that why we got involved with Christian Hunters America for, and it's been established going on 20 years, is the family aspect of of conservation and uh, bringing family and kids and wives and and basically just bringing that fellowship all together. Lord, we just thank you for Ducks Unlimited. 
Lord, and uh, specifically for the Phoenix chapter and the amazing work that they're doing, Lord. I just ask that you'd bless that chapter, Lord, and expand as we know that they are doing your work, Lord. They are conserving what you created that is so beautifully made, Lord, and, and the creatures that you made and all of the, the earth and the things that go with that, Lord. And I just ask that you would just bless the organization, give them wisdom, give them strength. And Lord, and I just ask that doors of opportunity would open for them, Lord, and and that they would be able to to shine and to grow and to be impactful as they are, Lord, and let it be unlimited. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you, Austin. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Christian Hunters of America podcast. If you have any prayer requests or you require any information, please look us up on christianhuntersofamerica.org or you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram under Christian Hunters of America.